Okay, down to the word. Last Sunday, we started sharing about having a mindset of long-term kingdom investments and what we're investing our lives into, right? The things we're giving ourselves to and how we're looking at investing our time, our talent, our resources, to the, the things that God has given us and how we're investing. And I wanted to take you a little further because next week I will not be preaching. Uh, Rebecca will be preaching next Sunday, so... Uh, yeah, they'll be clapping, there'll be more people, everything will be wonderful. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Rebecca is speaking, oh, revival is coming. But today, you'll have to listen to me. Long-term kingdom investments. What are you doing with your life? How are you investing your life? How is your daily decision-making impacting the lives of others? How is it that you are, or how are you administrating how are you doing with the very gifts, resources, ability, capacity, talents that God has given you so far right now? How are you doing? What are you doing with that toward long-term kingdom investments? I want to take you a little further today and remind you of some things in the scripture that we already know, but uh, there's so much, so much life in it still. Jeremiah chapter 28, you can just make a note of that for you to read later. It tells a story about Israel's captivity. One of the times they were in captivity for 70 years. As you know, the Israelites went into captivity a few times and they did some mistakes and they made some bad decisions more than once, you know. And uh, a few times they, God said, don't do this. And they turned their backs on God and did it anyway. And then came captivity and came, you know, the consequences of, of turning their backs on God. And they had to live through, uh, you know, seasons that were, hard and difficult because they, they would choose. More than once, they chose to turn their backs on God and go their own way. And we've read about that many, many times. But during one of the captivities in the book of Jeremiah, talks about Babylon, how they were under captivity for 70 years. And during that time, a prophet by the name of Hananiah. Has anybody heard that name before in the Bible? Hananiah. So Hananiah comes up with a prophetic word and Jeremiah comes up with a different prophetic word. And how do you handle two prophets of God speaking two different words? So Jeremiah basically said, listen, during this time of captivity, God wants you to get established. God wants you to obey. God wants you to receive. He wants you to multiply. He wants you to stay put during the seventh year captivity. Because he has some plans for you, some very big plans. But you got to stay put. Hananiah comes with a different word that challenges that. Hananiah says, no, 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 no. Within two years, two years. I mean, what's the difference between 70 years and two years? It's only 68 years anyway, right? So Hananiah gets very popular because people would rather wait two years than 70 years. So... Jeremiah suffers on his popularity because he's telling people to wait, 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 wait. God has something to do here. That's not very popular when people tell you to wait. Anybody here like to wait? I don't. Anybody like to be told, yes, yes, but hold on. You have to wait for the season of God, for what you've been praying for, what you've been believing for to materialize. You have to wait for God. We don't like that. 
That means time. That means my life spends going. That means I'm not going to get the things I want when I want. That means I'm not going to get it the Frank Sinatra way. Have it my way, right? I want it now. And I want it my way. So these two prophets are speaking to the people of God. And there's a discrepancy because one becomes very popular very quickly because it is a good word. Because you look at it, two years is way better than 70 years. And the other one, Jeremiah, is like, uh, I don't know about that, man. You're not going to have a lot of support if you're going to start talking about waiting for God for 70 years. Right? But one was speaking the truth and the other one was not. Jeremiah was speaking the voice of God and Ananiah wasn't. Ananiah was pleasing the people and giving them the word that they wanted to hear. So they messed up. They turned their back on God. And then Ananias shows up goes, don't worry about it. God, everything will be done in two years. Well, we want to hear that, right? We want to hear that real quick. But Jeremiah comes with a different solid word that would change generations to come. So the people had done wrong in the, in the face, in the, in the presence of God. They had, they had worship other gods. You know the story with the Israelites and the consequences that come. And... Uh, uh, unfortunately, Ananias comes with a word that, that is pleasing but not godly. It looks godly but is not godly. It takes a lot of discernment. And unfortunately, Judah, King Zedekiah, and his counselors preferred the words of the false prophet rather than the truth. And with that came more pain and more weight and more delays and more trouble and more issues. Because what makes feel good is not necessarily good for you. And what makes you feel sometimes really uncomfortable and challenged can actually be really good for you and cause you to grow real fast and be in the very place that God has intended for all of us to be, right? So the difference of the two approaches here, right? Now, Hananiah prophesied that the articles of the temple that Remember the bad guy, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, all that. So he said, now within two years we'll get it all back and the remnant, will, the captives will be set free. Everything will be good. Yes, of course everybody's going to jump to it and clap hands. Wow, man of God, how wonderful. You encouraged me this morning. I don't have to wait 70 years. And then comes the speaker of truth. That doesn't sound so appealing. Oh, you're going to have to wait the full term. God has a plan for this time of captivity. Here's the interesting thing about the Israelites. Back in Egypt, when they were slaves, a period of 400 years, the last 130 years of the 400, they were, they were crying out to God, God deliver us and all this, and God did deliver them. But during that time, while they were in captivity, in a place of limitation, in a place of captivity under the Egyptian rule, they, the Israelites, were growing bigger. They were multiplying. They were feeding themselves. They were getting more livestock. They were getting bigger and stronger in number and stronger in capacity, while at the same time, the Egyptians were fighting wars to keep their kingdom, and they were dying by the thousands. And yet, the Israelites were in a place of captivity. So being in a place of captivity, it's not all that bad. It has some good things. Even though sometimes God just delivers us from captivity because of prayer, because of his, of his agenda for us. But sometimes being put in one place, in a place of limitation, 
it is not necessarily bad. It could be a God thing. So the two prophets are speaking to the people of God. And obviously the word that is easier to accept is the one that persuades the people quicker. Because it is easy. It is nice for somebody to come up to me and say, Oh, don't worry about it. God's going to fix all this tomorrow. You don't have to worry about anything by tomorrow night. Everything will be wonderful. Your life will be back on track. And that's wonderful. I want that. We all want that. But there's a growth process. There's an understanding of kingdom. There's a revelation that only comes when you cross the river Jordan. There's, a, there's an experience that you go through that you cannot get if you hop over the river. There's a time of learning. There's a time of realizing, discernment. There's a time of grabbing, taking hold of, transformation, renewing of mind. That only happens if you actually cross the river. Well, let's, just, let's just put a wood plank and walk right over, you know. And then let God deal with them. And let God deal with them on the other side and I'm fine. You'll have to learn whatever you needed to learn somewhere else along the way. If you didn't learn it there, you'll have to learn it in time to come. And I don't know about you, but I want to learn today. I don't want to waste another week, another month, another year waiting for an opportunity to grow or to learn. I want God to teach me. I want God to show me everything I need to know so I can shape up, grow into the place that I need to be as quick as possible so I can get to the very divine plan that he has for my life. I don't want to waste any time. There's no time to waste. So the two prophets are going at it. And, you know, there's this discrepancy. One word is easy to accept. Very popular. The polls are high. You know, that prophet has a lot of following. Jeremiah, you know, he was the prophet. They call him the weeping prophet, right? The one that nobody would listen to. God, in fact, told him, you know, I'm going to have you speak to them. And they will not listen to you. How exciting. Who wants that calling? God's going to call you to do something. And God's going to call you ahead of time. I will ask you to do things and speak things that they will not yield to. And Jeremiah said, I'll do it anyway, God. I'll do what you want to do. I will, I will do your will outside of the acceptance or the popularity or the response of others. What a wonderful place to be in the will of God. I will live out in a godly way outside of the prize or the approval or the acceptance I may or may not get from others. What a place to be. What a deep place to be. So, so this goes on about the difference of timing that they're going back and forth. And basically, Jeremiah uh, calls Hananiah's bluff and, 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 and tells everybody he's not speaking from God. Nothing. He's just, uh, he's just making sure that he gets a following and, and you guys are happy. And that's not. So he calls his bluff. And, and it's, it's a very trying time for the Israelites. Imagine already being in captivity, already having to deal with all that. And now there's this situation of uh, having to decide, is he speaking from God or is he speaking from God? You know, nothing has changed, right? So listen, Hananiah is saying, you're only going to be here for a couple of years in Babylon. So don't worry about settling in too much. Don't worry about creating roots. Don't worry about uh, making a name for yourself. Don't worry about your reputation. I mean, if you're only going to be in town for two years, you don't even have to unpack your suitcase, you know. You don't even have to buy a home. Just rent something for a few months or something, you know. It's not, uh, it's not, it's not needed for you to be like taking, think, thinking long term. Jeremiah comes in and says, no, no, no. You're going to be here for a while. 
marry people, have babies, create roots, get a place, start thinking long term, start thinking generations, start thinking about what God wants to do long term because God has plans for you. God has plans for you. Settle down. He's basically saying, think long term, think 70 years longer, think a generation, think past yourself. Think about what God wants to do in this generation and the generations to come through your life. Think past all that. This was an incredible, incredible word that Jeremiah was bringing to them. It was the very opposite of what they were feeling. They were feeling like, God, deliver us. Get us out of here. Because, yeah, we messed up. They had seen God deliver them before. They knew God could do that. So, so it's so easy to accept that easy word because you want it. You want to get out of it. And Jeremiah is talking about something completely different. When you think long term, it enables you to dream a lot bigger. When you think long term, you're thinking beyond yourself or past yourself. You're thinking about what God is doing for you, but for others, for generations to come. You start doing things that will make a difference to the third and the fourth generation. You start becoming a bigger blessing. Oh, I really want to be a blessing. Well, then allow God to shine. Allow the, allow, allow the King of glory to shine. Allow the King of glory to have his way in your life so that indeed you could become a blessing. So, listen. The Holy Spirit, I think, wants to challenge some of us here in our thinking patterns, in what we're doing with what we have, in why we're doing what we're doing, and why we're giving our time, our talent, our resources to the things we're doing, and how we approach God in this mindset of just, uh, just wanting deliverance, you know? Like, like my son will call me, you know, my son is in college, and he'll call me and go, Dad, I have an emergency. Every time he calls me, it's an emergency anyway. So I'm like, when the phone rings, if it's mom, then I know it's something different. But if it's me, I already know, you know, what's, what do you need? What do you need? Because I'm the father, you know? What do you need? What do you need? Are you okay? What do you need? Well, I need this, and I need that, and I need that. He's always calling me for something he needs, which is normal because I'm his dad. But here's what he does. Once he describes what he needs, takes about 30 seconds, he says, when can you do it? I need it now. I'm like, well, I'm here. Now. No, 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 right now. Right now, I need it now. Can you? No, no, not tomorrow. There's this urgency. Bail me out now. Don't call me tomorrow and tell me something, you know. Don't tell me you're going to pray about it. Deliver me. Bail me out now. And I think so many of us have struggled with that before God, right? Man, we come to the Lord. We, we, we pray these advisory prayers to the Lord in like 10 seconds. God, when are you going to do it, God? When are you? How long, oh Lord? How long? Oh, remember David in the book of Psalms. He would start his Psalms oh so often. How long, oh God, will you take to deliver me? How long will you allow my enemies? How long, oh God? And then he would go to the middle of the Psalms. But God, you're so great anyway. And then at the bottom, oh, blessed be your name, Lord. Right? You see, in the Psalms, David go through all that process of like coming to God in a sense of urgency. Oh, please, please, God. And then like settle down in the presence of God. Start talking and acknowledging how good God really is. And then go to that place of like, you are amazing, God. You are wonderful. I'm in your hands. And I know what's to come tomorrow is in your hands, you know. So this sense of urgency that we take to the Lord. And so many times, I think the Lord wants to challenge us. 
causes to grow before he answers our prayer. While you're asking God to change everything around you, God is very motivated to change you before he changes things around you. And that's not fun because that equals weight. The translation of that is you have to wait a little bit. And some, some of us have to wait a year. Some of us have to wait 10 years. Some of us have to wait 20 years. Some of us have to wait a day or two or a week. Who knows what God is doing. But each of us has different sets of circumstances. But we come to the Lord with a sense of urgency. And in the midst of that, when somebody offers you a word that responds to the way you're feeling, you automatically love them. In fact, we look for people to give us words. In fact, we look. We go, oh, I got to go to the word. I got to go to the word. Well, what's going on in your life? Well, I just, I'm, I'm, this, I'm in this terrible situation. I'm going to go to the word and harvest something like, like a fruit tree, you know? I go to the fruit tree and look for the nicest one and I pick. And I'm like, I need something from the word so I can make it. And we're not meant to be living like that. We're meant to be living satisfied in the table of the Lord and live from the word to the world. It is different from living from the world to the word. Go to the word and harvest something I need so I can make it. And then, no, we're supposed to be so satisfied in the presence of the Lord eating from the abundance of the table of the Lord, that we live from the word to the world. From the table to the world. That's how we're supposed to live. That's a whole different place. So Jeremiah tells the Jewish exiles, he gives them some advice that is contrary to what they're feeling. I don't know if anybody has received advice contrary to your feelings. Or you've given advice contrary to the person's feelings you were speaking to, and they were so disappointed with you, right? They came to you, and, ah, and you said, well, here's what I think we need to do in God. And, God. and they were like, ah, oh, that's so negative. <laughs> well, that's more like real. Not so negative, more like real. So Jeremiah comes with this word to them, and I think it's as relevant to us today as it was 2,500 years ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know this piece of prophecy because the one I'm going to tell you right now, the scripture, is probably one of the most posterized promises of the entire Bible. Can we put up that verse, Adam? This is probably one of the most famous posters or t-shirts you've seen anywhere in Christian city. Right? Right? Jeremiah 29, 11. We even know it off by heart. We don't even have to go look for it. Jeremiah 29, 11, right? This is Jeremiah's words. I know that I have plans for you. So he's saying, God is saying this to you, Israelites, in the midst of your captivity. Do not take Ananias' escape route. Listen, stay put because, in the middle of the conversation, Jeremiah says, because God has plans for you. And what plans are those? Come on, keep going. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Well, that is completely contrary to our circumstances. We are in exile. We are, we are in captivity. That does not go with what we're feeling and what we see. What we see is the opposite. How is it that God would prosper us under the Babylonians? How is it that God would 
would not harm us if we are already under harm with, with his people. We are, we are captives to them. That doesn't go with what I'm looking at. How is it that God has any hope for us or a future if you're telling us to stay here and stay put and not leave? And Ananias is telling us, get out of here in two years. His word makes sense. Not your word, Jeremiah. What you're saying doesn't make sense. And yet Jeremiah says, declares the Lord. So the Lord was actually speaking something of hope that was completely against what they felt and saw at the time. Does that feel, does that relate to some areas of your life? You are praying for something and the answer of God does not really go with what you're looking at or is opposite of what you are looking for. Can be very challenging. Growth is very challenging. Growth is very challenging, but well worth it. So listen, Jeremiah is saying, listen, there's plans that God has for you that are far bigger than what you're looking at right now. God has intended to give you generations. God has intended to make you the light of the world. There's things that are so much bigger than your current circumstances and situation. So here's what you need to do. You need to get married, have babies, settle down, stay here, go nowhere. Don't move. Don't run for a better place. Don't look for another words. Don't look for an easier spot. Stay right where you are. I mean, this mindset of not running. David, Psalm 23, says this. I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You know what David was saying, what God was saying to David? Sit down, David. Don't go anywhere. Right here in the presence of your enemies. Don't run for a better place. Don't go for an easier situation. Don't go to a setup where it will make you happier or respond to the way you feel right now. Sit down, David. I prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And right there, David, I got plans. Like Jeremiah, I got plans. The Lord declares, I got plans for you. Plans to anoint your head with oil. What is oil? Anybody know? Anointing. I have plans to anoint you. I have plans to pour oil on you. I have plans to satisfy you on my table right in the presence of your enemies. David, this is what Jeremiah was saying. Listen, don't run from this place that God first brought you to. In fact, if you study Jeremiah 28 and 29, it says that God led him there to captivity. This is the place that God brought you to. Don't run from it. Right here, right now, declares the Lord, I have plans for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to cause you to have a future and have hope. Well, that doesn't go with what I really want to hear. I want to figure out another city to live. Well, wait a minute. There's a big plan going on here. There's a master divine plan going on that God has intended from the beginning of the earth. And you are part of it. Your life is a part of this puzzle. And what you do with your life every day, the way you live, the way you give, the way you love, the way you serve... Everything you do, the way you carry yourself, it has to do, it fits into this plan of God to change generations to come. You, we're only in the middle of this whole big divine plan that's been unfolding for a long, long time. We are part of it. we got to start getting an understanding of kingdom, an understanding of what our life really means and why we are here. We are here to advance the kingdom and to be part of what God has intended to be. Amen? I'm going to tell you some things about 
Lake Elsinore in a little bit, that's going to scare you in a good way. So Jeremiah 29, 11 is underlined in our Bibles. Anytime people want to just, uh, you know, justify their behavior, they will go and get some scripture, you know. We harvest scripture like painkillers, you know. Well, it hurts here. Go get a painkiller. Well, we go, we go get a painkiller. We go there. Well, what does it hurt? Right here. Okay, take this. We go home, take that three times, you know. Hope it gets better. And we do that with scripture. When we're going through situations, we just run. I got to get to the word. I got to get to the word. I got to get to the word. When I see people doing that, I already know, oh boy. Oh boy. They got a long learning process coming. I got to get to the word. I got to get to the word. I got to be in the word. I got to be in the word. When a person is always saying that, you already know they're not in the words. Okay, so I go to the word. And it's like a big fruit tree, and I show up, and I look around, and find the best one out of the and I harvest what I like. I take it, I run and eat, until I get hungry again. And then I come back. And we're not meant to be doing that. We're meant to be living from the abundance of the table of the Lord. And our cup is supposed to runneth over. You are not supposed to be half empty. Oh, brother, I don't know if I'm off empty or full. Well, you're supposed to be overflowing. We're supposed to live. We, the people of God, are meant to live in the overflow of His goodness and His grace and His provision and His love and His power. We're meant to be like that, you know. When people come to us, they're meant to, be, to feel honored. Like you met an ambassador. We are the ambassadors of Christ in the earth, right? Did anybody ever meet an ambassador? I have. I'm not an American, so I've had to meet several ambassadors, Okay. And man, it's honorable people. It's people you want to respect. It's people that represent the values of this country. It's like an honorable thing. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom. Our cup's supposed to run over, and people are supposed to come to you and see, man, God is doing something amazing in your life. We're not just running to the Word to get something. We're living from the Word. Talking to a wonderful friend of mine, uh, just recently we were just working construction here, and he came and told me, about what's going on in his life. And uh, very interesting, in the, the three months we were doing the renovation here, people that I hadn't seen in years just started showing up. You know, it was like, they walked through that door, and I was like, wow. And here we are in the middle of, you know, cutting drywall and, you know, carpets and stuff. And, and this friend came and he said, well, I, 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 I'm, I'm getting into this relationship with this person. This is what's going on, blah, 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 blah. What do you think, Ignacio? And I said, well... <laughs> If you want to know what I think, I think it's a bad relationship for you. Because true friends that really care for you and love you, they'll tell you, you know. They're not just going to give you a Bible verse and say, wonderful, you're so great. True friends that truly love you, they don't want to just please you. They want to tell you. So I said, hey, listen, I think it's not a good relationship for you. I think it's going to get you in trouble in your life in more than one way. It's going to be, you need to really pray about this. This is really not good for you. And automatically, humanity rises. Step back. Wow, you're so negative, man. Hey, I thought we were buddies. But you love me. I thought you just asked me 30 seconds ago what I thought. Okay? Okay? I'm a pastor. My job is to warn you, protect you, care for you. My, my job is not to pat you in the back and give you a Hananiah word. That's not my job. Wrong church for that. So I said to my friend, you need to really pray about this. This is not good for you or good for God or good for the kingdom. But ultimately, it's going to hurt you, you know. You're so negative. And then here it comes. He said, 
I'm not going to go with what you're saying. I'm going to go with what the word says. Now, anybody listening would think, of course, he's not going to go with a man. He's going to go with the word. Hallelujah. And I said, oh, yeah, so what does the word say? And here it comes. Jeremiah 29, 11. Well, the Bible says that God has plans for me to give me a future and a hope. And it doesn't matter what relationship I'm in. He's going to give me a future and a hope. And I'm like, okay, buddy, we need to talk. I came down the step ladder. We need to sit down and talk for an hour, you know. But basically, here's a typical example of, of this gross use of the word of God just to satisfy the way you're feeling. It doesn't matter how whacked out I get. I'll just pick a Bible verse from the tree and <clears throat> stick it on my ch chest and... The Lord says he has plans for me to make me. <laughs> that is the truth of the word of God right there. That is never going to change. The Lord does have plans to prosper you. It is the truth. And you just took the truth and <clears throat> put it in your chest right there. But you are not yielding to it. You are not embracing it. It is not having any impact or effect in your heart and your life. You're just displaying it. Right? Do you want a Hananiah word or do you want a Jeremiah word? <laughs> Man, we love, we love the promise that God has plans to, to deliver us. To, to, to declares the Lord. Oh, the Lord declares, yes, he does. Yes, he does have plans to deliver us, to give us hope in the future for every single person sitting here today. Yes and amen. That doesn't change. The word of God doesn't change. But you've got to understand the context of what was taking place and we got to be more responsible studying the word to really understand what God was saying rather than just harvesting Bible verses here and there and get a bunch of Bible verses and form your belief system on a handful of Bible verses that tickle you and make you happy, you know. I mean, if you go to the word and get a verse, it'll make you feel better. It's good. It's a good thing. You know, you go to the word and you get encouraged. Yes, 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 yes. It'll build you up. But there's so much more to it. There is so much more work to be done. There is so much more revelation, understanding, depth to the word that you need to get a hold of so you can understand what God is doing for kingdom, for generation. How your life is such an intricate, important part of what God is doing. Did you know that he made you? Yeah, you know that, right? He made you. He made you for such a time as this. God did not make you when uh, Sarah was around or, or, or Moses or, or, or God did not make you 2,000 years ago when there were, you know, the disciples and Matthew and Mary. God made you now here in his infinite wisdom. You are the work of his hand. The Bible says you are fearfully, wonderfully made. He, you are the masterpiece, the apple of his eye. God sought you out and God, the, the, the maker of this infinite universe in his all divine wisdom decided, hmm. George is going to be in 2020 in Lake Elsinore. That's why God said, mm, there, there. And God began to pull people together into the place. You are here by divine design for such a time as this. Think about yourself as somebody valuable. Man, I'm here on a mission. I'm here now because God has intended for me to be here. He knows your name. He knows your DNA. He knows your mama, your papa. He knows where you're going. He knows every thought of your head before it even comes here. He knows the number of hairs of your head. He knows you. He knows you. And he knows why you're here now. How do we respond to that with the kingdom mindsets? Man, we love the scriptures. We love to just take a scripture and run with it. 
And let us go to the scripture, amen, every day. But let us get responsible, understand what the author was saying, what God was really saying, what the circumstances were, instead of just taking a scripture and irresponsibly run with it and make ourselves feel better for a moment, you know? It's like, uh, you know, just go buy a Red Bull, man. Just, uh, just take it and, <clears throat> yeah, I feel good now for 25 minutes. I'm like, whoo, until it wears out. And then you need another one. Got to find another one, right? I think God is calling us and awakening us and challenging us to get so much deeper, to get so much more responsible about what we do with what we have every day. Not only our talents, our resources, the way we live our lives, our decision-making, how we spend our time, what you give your time to. God is calling us to a higher place. God is saying, listen, you are an ambassador. You have a, a word of truth in you. You are here. You are here. You were put here by God to be the light up on the hill, to be the salt of the earth. There's a, there's a promise. There's a huge promise in your life. You are meant to be a safe harbor for those that are broken. Not just when we come together for church, my friends. This is, this is wonderful, but the, listen, to be the church, not to come to church. It's where you go when you get in your car, when you get to work, when you're working in your job, job place, whatever, your desk, your workshop, when you're driving a truck next to somebody, when you're sitting in a plane. You are the church. Christ, the hope of glory is in you. It's what you're doing with your life, how you live in your life, rather than what we do when we come to church. When we come to church, it's just really a celebration of who Jesus is and how good he is to us, right? So we've got to stop living on painkillers, harvesting Bible verses. How are you feeling today? I've got to go to the Word. I thought you were in the Word. Huh? When you walk in here, are you encouraged? I encouraged myself in the Lord, in the Word before I came. I didn't come here looking for somebody to encourage me, even though that happens, which is wonderful. But I already come encouraged, man. I come, I come loaded, man. I'm fellowshipping with God and His Word, and I'm taking it seriously, you know? I'm not just like grabbing something to keep me going. There's a legacy in your life that God has prepped you, prepared you, and made you for that we need to pay attention to. The application, the proper application of, of the Word comes when you fully understand the Word and what God is saying. So don't treat the symptoms. Treat Treat the cause, right? Things of the heart. But let me just uh, give you a little um, background here in Jeremiah 29, 11. So, so the Israelites are in trouble. They've been plundered. God has been mocked. They have done it a few times. Things were not the way they needed to be. They were in captivity. And Jeremiah offers them this, uh, this route that wasn't very exciting. It's like, you know, you're like desperate for a word. Give me a word. Speak to me. And then the person does. And you go, mm. well, that's not what I was expecting. <laughs> you know, I was more expecting like you're going to say God's going to like open the heavens and do this and send 55 angels and do that. And this is what I was expecting to hear. You know, you know, I'm like, oh. but listen, even when you get that, pay attention. There's a lot of deep truth in it that will cause you to be in the place that God has made you to be. So Jeremiah begins to offer them the option. Don't listen to the easy way out with Hananiah. Marry, have sons, have daughters, have wives. Uh, increase in number. Do not decrease. Uh, Jeremiah advocates for long-term investment right where they are. 
and he, he's, he's talking about generations and, you know, the things God wants to do. He's talking about the big picture. And, you know, when you're hurting and somebody comes in and starts talking about the big picture, it's almost like irritating sometimes, isn't it? You know, like you're hurting about something and you're like, you come to prayer and like, please pray for me. And the person starts talking about the greatness and look what God is doing in the earth. And you're like, I don't want to know that. Just pray for me right now. I need something now. I want to pick something from the tree and run and not listen to the greatness of God. Because it conflicts with the way we're feeling at that very moment. Because God challenges us to see more than what we're feeling. And man, we've spent so much time. I think so many people have spent so much time paying attention to their feelings. Even if giving affection to their feelings. Right? And I don't mean to dismiss the way we feel. I respect the way you feel, the way I feel sometimes. We feel, we feel discouraged sometimes. We, feel, we go through things, right? I understand that. People go through seasons of pain and they suffer and they feel. You know, I get it, you know? I don't disrespect or dismiss that. But man, we got to be careful not to start giving that so much affection that it controls our emotional system, our mindset, the way we do things, the way we carry ourselves, to where we become slaves to the way we feel. And then we go to the Word to get a little, a little apple once in a while, you know. Just, you know, take a little bite. So Jeremiah is offering them a long-term avenue. Jeremiah is saying, do things thinking long-term. Do things that make a difference 70 years from now because you're not leaving. Oh, well, that's not what I wanted to hear. I'm going to go to Ananias Church this Sunday. Because he said two years, we out of here. I'm going to go to Ananias Church. God bless Ananias. Do things that make a difference 70 years from now. What you're doing every day, right now, with your life, is it making a difference for generations to come? Are you investing in kingdom to change generations? Or are you looking for a more comfortable place in God? For as much as I love comfort, I love comfort. Somebody just gave us cashmere clothes from China. One of our Chinese students' parents sent Tilly and I cashmere. Oh, so nice. So comfortable. Yeah, right? You know, she shows up, you know. I'm driving a convertible Beamer that's not mine. Thank you, Jesus. I almost gave Nathan an heart attack the other day. I showed up driving a convertible. I was like, what in the world? You're driving that? Oh, yeah. I don't own it, but I get to drive it. And then I showed up with my cashmere jersey. Oh, life's good. Comfort. Give me comfort. Right? But listen, I don't want to be in a comfortable place. I want to be in a place that God has made me to be because I want to be significant. I want to live a legacy behind me. I want to get to heaven and face the fiery eyes of the King of Kings, look him in the eye when there's no excuses, no people to blame and nothing to say, and say, Jesus, I did it. These came with me. I want, I want Jesus to look behind me and say, who came with you? Who did you bring? Who did you disciple? Who did you change? What did you do with your life? How did you use your home for a mission center for the gospel? How was your marriage a testimony to other marriages? How were your children an example to others in the faith? That's what I want to tell Jesus. 
Nothing to do with salvation, right? We're not talking about work so you can do so great and then be so great and be saved. Nothing to do with that. Salvation is in Jesus alone, right? But man, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Whoa! To live a life worthy, book of Ephesians, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Man, what a confrontation. So Jeremiah is not just giving them Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you like a, like a pep talk or a poster or a t-shirt. He's more like wallpapering their lives with Jeremiah 29, 11. All different mindset. He's saying, listen, stay put where you are. Stay right where you are. God brought you here. Level out. Have children. Establish yourself. Get ready. Honor God because he has plans to prosper you. And your prosperity is not just yours. God is going to prosper. And then he even says, pray for the city of Babylon. What? We're going to pray for the very people that are against us? Pray for them because as the city prospers, so will you. God is thinking like generations, you know. God is thinking generations. Pray for the city. He's thinking so much bigger. He's wallpapering their lives with his promise of, of future and hope. God was saying, I'm going to do a lot more than just making you comfortable and getting you out of here. I'm making a generation change. I'm making generations to come to find my love. I'm doing something so much bigger than what you're going through. And God did deliver them ultimately because he always does. Right? We know if you study the life of the Israelites, God delivered them again and again and again and again. God was so merciful again and again and again and again. Right? God always delivers his people. Because he loves us. Because his mercy is so amazing. He ultimately delivered them. But that very moment he was saying, stay put, slow down, stop. And listen, he has plans for you right in the midst of captivity. For those of you that are feeling captive right now, and I know there's some here, whether you are dealing with you know, financial captivity, uh, maybe you're under the state for some whatever, maybe you're under the law for whatever, maybe you're in a relationship, maybe whatever the situation may be, maybe your age, if you feel that you're under captivity right now and you cannot do what you wanted to do for God and you would, you're hoping for some Ananiah to show up and say, don't worry about it, next week it's all over. <sighs> Deflate, wait for God because he has plans to prosper you, to give you hope, and a future. God is intended to bless you in more ways than you even know or ask for. Think about this. Your life is worth more to God than it, were, than it is for you. God has more plans for your life than you have for your life. That's very, very, very powerful point. So God promises this. This big word to Jeremiah. And basically he was saying what God wants to accomplish through your life is, is, is longer than your lifespan. Jeremiah tell them, what I'm doing here, it's longer than their lifespan. What God is doing with us here, I so believe, is longer and bigger than our lifespan and the things we're doing. Right? We so often think right here, right now. But God is thinking nations and generations. Well, how big? I mean, that sounds so overwhelming. That's so big. <laughs> After Jeremiah told the Jewish exiles to think, consider long term, he offered them 
this, this one sweet, sweet thing. He says, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city. But God, these are the people that are oppressing us. These are the Babylonians. These are the people that are against us. These are the people that we under. And you're asking us, what kind of word of God is this? You're asking us to pray that they would prosper and that they would be well? Yeah. Seek the welfare of the city. Now, let me tell you this. Um, we came here about 15, almost 16 years ago. And for over the years, we've heard so much negativity about this region and about Lake Elsinore and how, how nothing good can come out of this city. Our ministries come to die in this city. Our people from, you know, from all over the country and all over the world come here with like vibrant callings and then they come here and they just get, they just get destroyed and quit ministry. We've heard all these terrible things, right? And every time I hear that, I get so like undone because it's, it's almost like God has lost his power. It's almost like Jesus, for some reason, cannot save this city. It's like the blood of the Lamb on the cross can touch and break the yoke of everything everywhere else in the world, but not here, you know? It's this lie. It's this Ananiah word. Just get out of Lake Elsinore. We've told, people have told us, leaders have told Tilly and I, there's no faith here. People are so shallow here. Get out of here. People have told us, people like you, you are so precious. You need to go to a place where you can thrive. And I'm like, Wait a minute. I don't want to end an eye of words. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. These people are the people of God. And the blood of the Lamb has not lost any power yet. So this, this whole idea that we just need to run for something better. Well, we are ambassadors. We were sent here. And we're not going anywhere until we see a generation turn to Jesus. That's our mindset, you know. And yes, it comes with work. Yes, it comes with pain. Yes, it comes with disappointment sometimes, but that doesn't hold back the hand of God. The Lord has plans to prosper us in this city, my friends. Pray for the welfare and the well-doing and the well-being of Lake Elsinore. Pray for this city. Pray that God will bless this city. We are trying to do a lot more than create a cool church. We are here to bless the city. We even believe this crazy thought that we're here to be a leading voice in the community. We believe that God wants to use us to bring vision to this city, to the people of this city. Amen? Amen. I confess sometimes I'm even like scared to share some of the things that, that I have in mind because it's kind of overwhelming. But I, I, I dream with, with, with our children's church becoming like not just a Sunday morning, take care of kids and do this and do that. I dream with our children's ministry becoming like a, like a, like a, a dream child center space that operates for child development from Monday to Friday. If that makes any sense, right? Right? I'm like, I'm, I got, I'm, I'm pregnant with these things and these visions of these things that can take place. And I'm like, God, you, you can do this, God. You, God, you can cut mountains. You can open the seas, God. You can, you can open the eyes of the blind. You can cause people to be restored. You can cast demons out. You can do this, God. You can change entire nations, God. Isn't it amazing that we have such trouble believing God to change a city? And yet God is offering us the irony. God is offering us the nations. Ask me and I will give you the nations. And yet we have trouble believing for a city. Think about that. I envision our U-Storm office next door becoming an office space 
that includes a co-working space for the community, for businesses, for the marketplace, for us to be in the marketplace in real time and get out of this cocoon church mentality that we just hide in, you know, looking for a little word from God. Well, let me just go to church and get something from God so I can, I can just make it another week. No, let's live from the table and become an influential voice in the marketplace. Let's open our doors and let people come in and see Christ, see a Christ-centered community that doesn't hide but influences the community. Amen? Oh, there's so much. Really want to break this mold of church and get out of church, get out to the community, get out to the place that makes a difference. If the, if, if the city prospers, so do we. Well, but this and that, the Lake of Sonora, this and that. Listen, the hand of God is not limited by any city, any governmental office, any situation, any time zone, any situation at all. The power of God is the power of God. And Jeremiah said it, and uh, Isaiah said it, if the hand of the Lord shall move on my behalf, who can stop it? Who can stop it? So it's time for us to, I really have this conviction that the church belongs in the marketplace, not in church buildings. And, and I, 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 I look at the life of Jesus, and Jesus hung out in wells. Wells were where people met to chat and talk in ancient days, you know. That's where Jesus hang out. That's where Jesus encountered people. He didn't ask him to come to his church. Yeah. Even though he has a church now, a wonderful church. That's where Jesus hung out. We are building a postmodern church or postmodern well where a place where people can come to play, pray, live together and find Christ. It's a whole different thing, you know. But when people come, my friends, you better be overflowing. You better be overflowing. You better be overflowing. Your cup better be overflowing, right? I'm thinking ahead. I'm thinking 20 years from now. I'm thinking when I'm 70, 20 years from now when I'm 70, what will I leave behind? What will stay behind? What lives? What generations? What has changed? What has God done with me during my lifetime? So, in closing here, I hope that this message helps you grow in grace, the grace of giving, the grace of loving, the grace of growing and teaching and, and understanding the kingdom, and that you would start thinking about generations. You'd start thinking about long term and the things God wants to do with you, through you in this time, in this generation, right? I'm persuaded that God is rising right from amongst us, a generation of Joseph, David's, Gideon's, Lydia's, Phoebe's, all these. God is raising a people. He's raising a people. And I don't want to be back here looking and saying, oh, look what God did over there. I want to be right in the midst of it. Right? So may God unleash the generosity, the creativity of the people of our church community here to really become world shakers. People that are committed to see what God has intended for this region. The old saying, show me the size of your dream and I will show you the size of your God. How big is your dream for your life, your family, your church? I believe God is challenging us to think bigger and look at bigger things. 
And of course, my friends, it doesn't matter how big your dream is, God is bigger still. Right? 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 So, so see yourself as an ambassador. See yourself as an agent. See yourself as an overflowing cup. Live from the table. Live from the table. Amen? Amen? Please stand with me. Hallelujah. Lord, we stand in your presence today. And God, we, we begin to repent for having lost hope so many times, God. For wanting to actually bail out of the very things you're doing, God. We repent for being so discouraged, God, that we've allowed our own feelings to overwhelm us and take over our thought process and our decision making. God, we want to respond to the very divine calling and purpose that you made us for, each of us in this building here this morning, God. We understand we were made for such a time as this. And God, we want to arise to the calling we have received. Live lives worthy of the calling we have received. God, we pray that you'd begin to shape our minds, renew our minds and our hearts to understand kingdom, to think generationally, to think about the greater things you are doing, to think about the divine, the, the master divine plan that you, are, uh, that you have put in motion right from amongst us, O oh God, and that we would become the ambassadors, the agents, the ones that would put our hands to work and put our lives to, give really our lives to, for, this, for this divine plan that you have put in motion, O oh God. God, we pray that our church would become so community-focused and so outside of, of the religious mall that we would go into the city, into the community, into the marketplace, and indeed become an influential voice, O oh God. God, we give ourselves to you. And God, we want a Jeremiah word. <laughs> God, we want a Jeremiah word. We want to think long-term kingdom. And Lord, we offer our lives today to you, to your hands, and say, do with us the things you made us for, oh God. Do with us, with our lives, our resources, our ability, the very things you have planned for our time, oh Lord. Lord, I pray for every person here this morning. I pray for the needs of every person. I pray for the individual needs of every person. I pray for the specific things that people are struggling with that God you'd cause us to overcome, that you'd give us victory and cause us to see the kingdom and live in a place of overflowing. Father, bless your people. Keep your people. And until we meet tomorrow night again, God, let your grace abound amongst us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you.